Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, BSH Home Appliances Corporation is looking for a senior user interface designer in Irvine, California. And for remote work, the Wikimedia Foundation is looking for a lead UX designer for their product design and strategy group. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listing with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry, and this is a pretty busy week. First off this week, we've got our 2020 holiday gift guide that comes out tomorrow, December 1st. So make sure that you visit revisionpath.com or follow us on Twitter or Instagram for more information on that. Now, this year's gift guide theme is all about things that have brought us balance and comfort and a sense of connection throughout this very unpredictable year. Make sure you check it out. I also put a little surprise at the very end of the gift guide. It's something that a lot of people have been asking about. Just consider that little holiday surprise from me to you. So again, make sure you check out the gift guide for that. Next up, there's volume two of Recognize, which is our design anthology that features essays and commentary from indigenous people and people of color. That's launching on tomorrow as well on December 1st. This year's theme is fresh, and I think you'll like the essays that we've got lined up. A special shout out to everyone who submitted for this year's volume. Shout out to Robert Trujillo, who did great illustrations for this year. Think you'll really like it. I know some of you have already written asking me about volume three. Look out for news about that early next year. And lastly, there's this week's interview, which is our 375th podcast interview. Now, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Benny F. Johnson, the executive director for AIGA, the professional organization for design. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. All right. My name is Benny F. Johnson, and I'm the new executive director of AIGA, the professional organization for design. And I know you've been in the role now for for several months because it was announced earlier this year, but congratulations to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it still feels new. It feels a bit surreal. We started uh, in January with the announcement. That was my first day in the office. And, you know, before we know it, we're here under quarantine and I'm back here in D.C. So it, it still feels new, but a lot of work and a lot has happened since we started. So where were you when you first got the news that you got the role? You know, it's funny. I was in the car in D.C. about to have lunch with a dear friend. And I received a phone call that said, are you available to talk in a couple of minutes? So it's always that, like that pre-call to a call. And then I received the word that I was selected to be the next executive director. Now, our audience, of course, has heard of AIGA. If anyone, I think, has been listening to Revision Path at length, at least since 2014 or 2015, they know about AIGA. But for those who don't know, who might be new to this conversation, might be new to you and the organization, can you just talk about what AIGA is and also what specifically attracted you to this role? Well, AIGA is, is a legacy organization in many ways. It's a hundred year plus professional association. And there aren't that many hundred year organizations, as you can imagine. But AIGA has been at the center of design, design community, design education and profession for larger than the century. And so what attracted me to it, I had spent the last 10 years working with professional organizations 
and helping them reinvent, reimagine, and position themselves for a contemporary world. And so the opportunity to come into a space, I'd always been, design had always been a central part of my experience both professionally and personally. So to have the opportunity to take the experience that I had working with other professional associations and apply it to the design professional organization was a really big draw for me. My background has really been coming into organizations to try to help pivot and move from what has been to build a better future of what can be. So I saw an opportunity here with AIGA and a space to help the organization expand as along with the design professional expanding, right? You can't have the profession expand and the professional organization stay the same. So what does an average day look like for you? I mean, you said earlier you were in New York. Now you're back in D.C. What does it look like running this organization like this remotely? The first couple of weeks, the average day was starting off Monday mornings, hopping on the train in Amtrak and heading from D.C. Union Station to Tribeca, New York, and spending the bulk of the week there meeting and connecting with design leaders and professionals and students having meetings and getting acclimated to the organization. So that was about two months of that kind of back and forth. After we went into the kind of full space, if you can imagine, of, and that we all have kind of lived through our pandemic, this became how do we think about the organization and physically for me running it from my living room, my dining room, the favorite corner in my house, right? And, and it quickly became, it wasn't a question of where I was physically, but using the tools and the opportunity to bring together our team to deliver and build for our profession. You know, how do we deliver our mission? Yes, we were used to being in office spaces and traveling, but what can we do in a more dynamic way? What's really nice about AIGA is we were already positioning ourselves to be more virtual. Part of even my being able to come into the role, I live in D.C. And so having a CEO who is not based in the office was a deliberate point for the organization. As it stands right now, only about 60 to 65 percent of my team is located in New York. The rest are distributed across the country. And I think that's an incredible you know, opportunity and advantage for us. And I think it's probably important to note here, because when people think of AIGA, they think of the chapters. Each of those chapters has you know, their own kind of board and everything. Those are not employees of AIGA. The actual organization itself is pretty small. Right. Those are not employees. So we are what, you know, many people haven't had experience with, but we are a federated model. And it's very common in professional associations and spaces. We all exist under a core mission and brand, right? That is AIGA. But we're a network community. So we have 75 chapters who are individual chapters. They have their own boards. They have volunteer leaders who are connected with them. But they're connected through affiliation and through an overall network to the larger AIGA mission and brand. We also have 200 student chapters across colleges and universities. So the power of a federated model is just that. You have this connection to community at a really direct and granular level, but you're tied in together. And the national office in which I lead gets to serve as really kind of the infrastructure and the backbone organization that at its heart enables all of the chapters and the student groups and our task force to be able to do the dynamic work that they do. Now, we were originally supposed to do this interview back in February, which seems like it was two years ago <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but we did a live show in Los Angeles. I interviewed an architect out there, Roland A. Wiley. And then at the end of the live show, I was like, you know, I just want to let you all know next week I'm talking to Benny F. Johnson, the new executive director <laughs> at AIGA. And everyone in the room was like, oh, my God, I have questions. So a lot of people had questions for you. And they're kind of along the lines of what I was going to ask anyway. But I would say out of all of the questions I got, there certainly was one theme that stuck out the most. And so I'll ask you this kind of as a question. As you mentioned before, AIGA is a legacy organization. It's over 100 years old. I think it's 106, 107 years old, something like that. Right. How do you plan to modernize the organization for today's designer? As you mentioned earlier, it's the reason why I wanted to be here and take this role. One of the things that's interesting is when you look at our organization, I always come to organizations and I look first at their mission, right? Your mission is your external expression of who you are and who you hope to be. It's the guide of the work that you do. And I looked at our mission 
And what's interesting is our mission is really contemporary and speaks to where we need to be as an organization. You know, looking at design and advocating for design is a strategic practice, looking at it as a strategic advantage and as a catalyst for positive impact. So practice, strategic advantage, and catalyst for positive change. Those are all things that I think are at the heart of the contemporary professional organization. Now, the hard part comes in is not identifying your mission. It's doing the work, building the infrastructure, creating the programs, providing the support that allow you to truly live out that mission. And so in coming in, one of the things that I do is I come in with a spirit of listening, learning, and a focus on rebuilding and renewing. That's really what we've come in. And over the last six to eight months, we've had a really aggressive agenda to find ways that we can rebuild and and change some of the trajectory that we have here as a legacy organization. Often when you have a legacy organization, there are things that you've just done because you've always done them, right? Doesn't mean they're bad, doesn't mean they're off focus, doesn't mean they're not well-intentioned, but there's are things that you've continually done. The challenge is the profession, the world, and our lives evolve around that. And so when you're a legacy organization, you can always kind of fall into a trap in which this is the way we've always done it. As I mentioned to a colleague before, one of the things that's been a hallmark of my background and professional space is that organizations don't bring me in to do the same thing they've always been doing, right? That's with my background and experience in both startup and re-engineering and thinking of dynamic ways of going forward. The mere choice of bringing me in as an executive leader signals from the board and the organization that we're going to do things differently. And so with the design profession, it's an incredible moment because you think about the energy and passion that's a part of our profession and community. Now think about applying that to the challenges um, and opportunities that we face now. It's a space in which I can only be hopeful. It's a space in which I can only be excited when I see the skill, the passion, and the opportunity of our designers. One of the things that's been really important for me is to think about it when I've had conversations with designers all throughout our community, they all speak to these moments in which they had this magic and they fell in love with AIGA. No matter where their relationships are today with the organization, there's always been this moment. One of my goals is to bring back that magic for everyone. Now, one interesting thing about AIGA, I think, starts with the name. It's the American Institute for Graphic Arts. So from the the onset It really focused on one type of design, visual design. Of course, now there's product design, there's experience design, there's UX design. There's so many different implementations and definitions and variations of what is considered design. And I know in the past, I think AIGA has just had an issue with trying to sort of keep up with that or to even honestly acknowledge it. Right. It is. You know, those are the challenges of of the legacy organizations, right? It becomes a space where people can fall into a trap that you are what you do, as opposed to pursuing the mission. And when I mentioned to you the mission before, and even our naming construction, I mean, the organization actually took the moment and about 15 years ago, changed our naming structure, that we are AIGA, the Professional Association for Design, right? That that became the naming invention. It's a kind of international business machines moment, right? We don't think about that as being IBM. Having the space in which that, because as I mentioned, you know, the profession evolves. And as the professional association, we need to be proactively and sincerely and authentically evolving with the profession as our members. You know, the, the lines that were established in legacy organizations tend to be artificial, right? It's, it's what we've always done. And the profession advances. A dear friend of mine is a designer, and we always talk about the work that he does now didn't exist when we were in college 20 years ago, right? That's a powerful moment. Designers experience that every day. There are other professions who don't, even under this disruptive world we've lived in, who don't experience that level of change. But think about it. What he studied in school and what he does to now are completely different. I think that as an organization, one of the things that we're looking at and you see it in the content we're producing now is we're taking away those barriers. You know, we're design writ large and building a professional association that is embracing to all the ways in which our designers, creative professional and business leaders use and experience design today and tomorrow. That's kind of a a place that I'm championing and leading through all of our programming, our work, our task force, and trying to encourage within our our community as well. What parts of AIGA's legacy do you think are still relevant now? 
You know, I think when I think about legacy organizations and their longstanding, there are always these challenges. But there's always, to your point, there are these kernels opportunity of support of things you want to push forward. And I think within AIGA is this notion of the professional community. Looking at how professional organizations embrace your career journey and path, how you become a professional, how you think about being a professional, providing the resources and mentorship, I think those are spaces there. This notion of professional relationships and friendship, I think those are all positive things to build on. You know, the notion that there is an organization that is supporting and advocating for the profession at large, that is a resource that positions itself to help both the individual designer, the team, the org, and the industry at large. Those are all good quality things that I think you build upon. Where where I think we have the opportunity to advance is when we started, we started, quite frankly, as a social club. It was a professional social club where like-minded people gathered together. Now, while that is an interesting beginning, as you spread that out over time, even with the sincerity of being a social club, you open yourself up to not being the most embracing, the most dynamic, the most diverse and inclusive space. Right. And I think that the future of a contemporary professional association takes those friendships and rich relationships and combines with that elevated role of a professional organization to establish standards, codes of conduct and resources. Right. We need both to come together as a way of thinking about the the profession. What I love about AIGA is the love that people have in their volunteer service and the work that they do. Where I think we have the opportunity is to take that and transition to become this more inclusive, more dynamic, more contemporary professional association. So there's a word throughout that that you said, which really stuck out to me, which was advocates. Yes. In my experience with AIGA, and I, I would imagine with, with listeners too, AIGA has kind of felt at times to be mostly reactive and not proactive. It may be responding to things that happen, but not necessarily getting out in front of issues. Is this something that's kind of new that you're planning on kind of implementing within the organization? You know, it's interesting to frame it like that. It's so much a part of how I think the role of a professional association should be that you know, I haven't even thought about it as, as a break from, from what the organization's done before, but really a pathway for what we need to be, right? They're going to be, and, and we're not, you know, established and set up today, but that, that will evolve to, that we can take leading positions on things that impact our profession, right? That's a unique role and important responsibility of a professional association. Now, it's not an easy road, And you want to work and be in concert with stakeholders, with your members of industry to make sure that you're advocating for the right positions and spaces. But, you know, that role of being able to speak for positive change for the entire profession is something that a professional association should do. You know, if we look at um, I spend a lot of time internally in our conversations talking about the fact that there are examples to the left and right and up and down of other professions who build professional organizations to rise to the challenges that we see and seize opportunities and build. And that we can look to those for examples of of how to think about, you know, our our way forward. But I think in our world that, you know, AIGA should have a role in advocating. Are there spaces in which we, we are, to your point, you know, reactive? Yes, there's always that space. But are there spaces in which I think that we lead and create a leading voice? I think that's an important future for AIGA. Mm. I, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't know if that's a great answer. I'm going to be completely honest it, with it, you. It, 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 might, it might not be. I mean, at, at this moment in space, I think that, that as a professional organization, that's something that you should do, right? You should be advocating for your profession. I do. I think that, I guess, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm basing this off of, of my experience having been with the the task force and even just from people who I've had on the show mm-hmm. that have talked about AIG, like it would be great to see AIGA step out in front of issues. Like for example, come out and, and like give a, not necessarily a, a manifesto of sorts, but like say, this is what we plan on doing for 2021, or these are the types of changes we would like to see in the industry as, you know, maybe coming from our members or from something like right. that, just something that's more, 
proactive, something that is is starting the conversation and not necessarily jumping in on someone else's conversation, like being more, I almost want to say forceful. That, that almost feels like the best way for yeah, me to put it, but just being more, more active and out there as a voice, because I think right now when folks look at AIGA, they think, okay, it's maybe a student group that I join, or it's something that I'm a part of as a working professional, but is being a member of AIGA that important to me as a working professional? Sort of, not really. And I don't necessarily mean this in a like fellowship sort of way, but like how is being an AIGA member something that's going to help me to get a job or land a client or show my professional expertise? You know, that sort of thing. And I could see how AIGA could get out in front of that and really state the benefits of like what membership is. I think to your point, it's really you're hitting at three different issues. And, and I, if I can jump in and speak to it, which first issue we talked about not being really a great answer, I'm really speaking to what you're talking about. Like AIGA, for those who may challenge whether or not AIGA should have a leading voice, it is what a professional association should do. Now, it's clear that we haven't done that in the past, but in speaking forward, which is really our conversation now, that's what I want to build towards. And so we're building the mechanism now so that we can actually have, you know, to your point, you mentioned that, as I said, bringing in stakeholders and members, this is direction, this is the voice we want to speak out on. You know, my goal is not to just have AIGA speak solely by itself and not have something that's reinforced by our membership in the design community, right? We want to have that, that interconnectivity. But yes, I agree wholeheartedly that there's that, you know, we have a place and that's where we should be elevating in terms of advocating for, you know, variety of issues and concerns that impact our profession. I mean, and so what we're looking, what we're building to, we're strengthening that through our engagement directly with members and research and background and building that. The organization over years has not been built to do that. So these are things that we're modifying. For your question about where the value lies, which then moves from that in space in there, that goes back to kind of looking at that mission and reinforcing, like doubling down on the work that we do in there. And kind of over the years, you can see where the organization has kind of lost track of that focus. Really strong and powerful professional organizations are there to provide you the resources that go through the very tactical, practical pieces of being a professional, like helping you define what it means to enter the profession providing the resources and skills, providing the professionals back, providing that connected tissue between your aspiration and your college classes, between that interview and that portfolio review, through starting your own enterprise or moving up into the executive line, that kind of full life cycle of your professional journey. Those are spaces in which we offer a lot of resources. I've seen it when people have reached out to us and talked about how invaluable they've been. The organization has, has not, over the past few years, done a magnificent job of celebrating that or highlighting that we have those resources of that impact. And that's something that we're working on going forward to elevate that, to not only create more meaningful resources, but ways that we can distribute them, engage in professionals throughout their continued career arc and ways that we can highlight that. So those in our community like yourself can see these are things that I can get from AIGA. Yeah. And <laughs> when I say that, I, I'm trying not to come off as as being combative, but certainly I, when I talk to college students or when right. I talk to even just like, you know, design professionals that may have never even heard of AIGA and I mention it to them and why they could possibly be a part of it, they're not seeing that value. Like, I know that those things exist. Like when I started my studio back in 2008, I think AIGA had like a code of design ethics and they had like sample contracts that you could use to get started. Like that was a resource. I was like, oh, this is great. And I think that resource probably still exists somewhere on the website, I'm guessing. But yeah, yeah it, it becomes harder to make the sell for the maybe modern slash up and coming designer that maybe is getting into UX or product or something as to like, why would I be a part of AIGA? Don't they only do print design right. or visual design? Like it becomes a bit of a disconnect there. And you're absolutely right. And we'll go back to the space of how we're rebuilding and moving forward in there because we have incredible, valuable, incredible resources throughout our space in there. But, you know, to your experience and conversation, those were things where the organization has had opportunities to improve and be better for the last few years. What I can speak to now is what we're doing from this past seven months going forward. 
And one of the key areas that you're going to see dynamic change going into 2021 is a complete redevelopment of our website as a central hub and resource, which seen already this year is a complete overhaul of our content that we provide virtually. That includes everything from the aspirational and inspirational all the way down to the pragmatic content. How do I apply for a small business loan? How do I set up my studio to content that brings people together? How do I get exposure with my portfolio? These are all things that we're doing that we hadn't been doing prior to, you know, March and April of 2020 that are about a new way forward and research that we're doing. So what's going to be really powerful and what I welcome is for us to sit down and have this conversation in about 12 months. Because I have insights to what we're building on the road plan ahead and it speaks exactly to those moments that you're expressing. You know, my focus, as I said before, is to double down on those things that are central to building a more contemporary professional association. Those are the resources that touch each thing you talked about, Maurice. How do I move from being a student? How do I move being an entry level? How do I move from being a design professional who wants to start my own enterprise to the next level? And so professional organizations, when they're at their best, they provide a community of support around that. They provide multiple pathways. They provide access to resources, whether they're human, financial, mentorship, or knowledge. And I think that we have opportunities to build and be better across the board. What we've been doing, what I've been doing the last seven to eight months, is really looking at that infrastructure to how do we deliver on that. And we've been building out in really you know, actionable ways, whether you look at our portfolio review or the way we've repurposed and restructured our contents or the support we have in reinforcing what we're doing with design educators throughout our organization. They're really just the tip of our iceberg for what we hope to do going into 2021 to build this stronger, better, more relevant professional design association. These are great things to hear. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. I love to hear that because I could see how, especially with the fact that there are student groups and then professional chapters, and even in the different chapters, there's you know, different kind of initiatives and stuff like the way that I see or would like to see AIGA is that it's a part of your design journey every step of the way. It's there for you. It's there for you as a student. It's there for you as an entrepreneur. It's there for you in-house. It's even there for you if you've gotten to like, you know, mid-career senior level, like AIGA is a part of your journey all along those, those different stops in your career. It's almost like, Maurice, you were in the conversations that I was having when we talked about our goal and objective of thinking about our programming, our digital website and space, where I said, I want any designer, anyone connected to the design community to come to our experience, to come to our site and find themselves, find the work they're doing today or the space in which they aspire to go to. We want this to be a reflection of this more comprehensive, more open and accessible design profession. Right. And so these are the things we're going to do. And it's it's anchored with the tactical resources. It's anchored with how do I, as you mentioned before, how do I thrive at what I'm doing today? How do I make the case and plan for where I want to be tomorrow? All connected to this professional journey that we call design. Now, one person who had a question is a is a mutual colleague of ours. Uh, I'm sure you've probably talked with her with Jacinda Walker. Mm hmm. Yeah, Jacinda, for those who don't know, she's been on the show before. She, um, I think, is still, or, or maybe at one point in time, I know, was the chair of the AIGA's Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And when I told her that I was interviewing her, the, f- the question she had was, what specific things are you going to bring to diversity, inclusion, and equity as it relates to the organization and to its members? And I think it's an important question, not just because you Black. I mean, you are, but I mean, it's an important question because this is something which has come up in AIGA's history, I'd say, perennially, at least over the past 30 years. Right. There's been these little instances, there's been task forces and symposia and et cetera, and it always has seemed to change with whomever the executive director was. It changed with Rick, it changed with Julie, it changed with, actually, I don't know what happened with Barry, but it changed with Barry, and now you're in the role. So, what specific things are you going to bring to diversity, inclusion, and equity as it relates to AIGA and to its members? Well, I can say in a short word, a lot. From day one in coming to this role, this is something that's important to me, both personally and professionally. And it was one of the things that was a part of me in accepting the role and thinking about the impact 
that we can and need to have. So tangible things we're doing in many ways, one of the first things I did was kind of reach out to our DEI task force and talk about the fact that in the past, a lot of the work that we had done as an organization had been kind of centered in task force or small groups that are pulled together. And to your point, what you're alluding to happens a lot with volunteer organizations. Things stop and start, stop and start as personnel, both volunteer and staff change and, and evolve. One of the things that's been important to me was to actually build the work that we do, both for DEI and for our design educators community, into the actual functioning DNA of the work that we're doing going forward for AIGA. So that the work extends from just beyond the task force to a real part of what we're doing. So you've seen it if you get a chance to look at the content that we're doing from day one that I mentioned before. Our content has been more dynamic. Our content has has spoken to diversity in ways in which we haven't done before. It's also been a part of us thinking about leadership. So when you think about a federated model, you have a network of leaders throughout the country in all different experiences and spaces. One of the things that makes our conversation today timely is we just finished our annual leadership retreat. And I was really encouraged and heartened to see this was the largest gathering that we've ever had. We had over 500 AIG volunteer leaders come in. And at a core part of this space was how do we think about leadership training to reinvigorate, re-equip, and refocus our leadership? And one of the key parts of our training actually dealt with anti-racism training, diversity and equity. We built all of the topics into our path for training for our leaders, which hadn't been something that had been done in this direct, actionable way. These are ways in which we talked about that we want to equip our network and our community to be the best leaders that are required for today. When we look at the year coming forward, I work really closely with our task force chairs of both the DEI task force and our DEC space, which is our educators community. And we're working towards an agenda of some really dynamic programming and work that we're going to do for 2021 for the organization. But unlike past, you know, we've had spaces that have started up and they've been initiatives or programs that have been in some ways orphaned on the side who've who've lost support and resources, I'm building this into the work that we do as an organization going on. Because my goal with all of our work, especially in these spaces, is really to look at sustained and really sustainable impact, right? We're not just doing a program for lip service. What are we doing that's gonna build and have an impact on our profession, on professionals, and our community at large? Those are the types of programs that I'm interested in supporting and having us build out. And it's a different direction for us, right? To say, we're looking at things that are going to provide sustainable impact. So, yeah, we've had you here talking about AIGA and how you're going to change the organization and everything. But we want to know more about you, the person. So I know you're currently in Washington, D.C. Is that where you're originally from? Yes, I grew up here in D.C. I'm a proud third-generation native Washingtonian, raising two little fourth-generation native Washingtonians. And were you exposed a lot to kind of design and art and everything growing up? You know what? We were exposed to exploring ideas. And I grew up in D.C., and my dad was was a software engineer and minister, and my mom was an educator. And over the summers, we would spend our time going to all the great free museums here. We had the Smithsonian in our backyard, and it gave me an opportunity to explore ideas for science and history and learning. But I was always exposed to the way things were put together, how things were presented. And so before I even had the words to articulate it, design and thinking about changing things was always a part of of my experience. Your dad was a software engineer and a pastor? That's an interesting combination. It's a very interesting conversation. (laughs) My dad was was a mathematician. Oh, nice. Three days of working on computer science. And I grew up in a family in which service to community was really a part of who we were. And it was a part of everything that we did. So if you grow up in a space in, in a quintessential black cultural experience, my mom was a teacher and my dad was a preacher, right? And, and that experience in seeing leadership through service in community, seeing an embrace of knowledge, seeking the embrace that you can change and make the world for better. So that's a really a part of 
what shaped me as a person, what shapes me as a leader, as a friend, as a husband, and as a father. I mean, thinking of those things. What prompted you to go to Yale? I mean, you were right there in D.C. Of course, there's a lot of great colleges in D.C. Howard, of course, is one of them. Why Yale? What, what attracted you there? Because like any good 17-year-old, I didn't want to stay at home. <laughs> so so that, that's a practical expression of that. Fair but enough. Yale, yeah. So my question is, if you think back to me, Maurice, at the time in which I was growing up, at the time when I was going to D.C. public schools, the question for me was, why not me? Right. So I got into Yale and from the high school I went to, I was the first student in, we believe, 20 to 25 years to get into an Ivy League school. And so the question for me was always that not a questioning of why this space, but that I needed to be a part of this experience and this narrative and have the opportunity to compete and be in the space. I remember thinking about schools and I looked at a lot of schools in there and it was this simple moment where we asked the question of at the time, what school did the president go to? And a quest to kind of be the best was that this was an experience that I wanted to have. And so I went for it and was able to have experience, met teachers and friends, as we all do when we're in college or have experience that became transformative. But one of the teachers who really kind of blew me away in my experience, he was the first African-American male teacher that I had at Yale. And I remember walking into his class and I was the only black student there. And we kind of this reaction when we caught each other's eyes. And the class was called simply design. And it was taught through the Yale School of Art. And my interest was going into design from an architectural business perspective. And I came into this class and I was able to study with the late Bob Reed, who was a professor at Yale for about 45 years, the only African-American professor to have that role in the School of Art. And he became a dear friend and mentor and really kind of encouragement on excellence in force and work, right? And so that was my experience in Yale. And that was kind of my introduction formally to design. And it really shaped the way I thought about business, strategy, entrepreneurship, and growth. And even when I wasn't in roles that directly touched design, it informed the way I dealt with the world around me. So what was your time like while you were there? I mean, I know we've we've had, you know, also other Yale design grads that have been on the show, but for you kind of during that time period, what was it like for you? So it was incredible for me because I was a kid in the undergrad space. So, you know, I wasn't in the grad school with the focus on the MFA and, and spaces there. This was, Yale for me was an opportunity to really be able to explore my broad interests. So it was a space in which I could do classes in business and economics, but also history and culture. It was a space in which I could look at architecture both now and, and in the past. It was a space in which I got a chance to be a student leader in spaces with the Black Student Alliance, with the art history program, with any space in there, it was really formative for me. So you appreciate these experiences a lot more when you look back at it, but it was an incredible space. You know, Some of the community involvement that I had been a part of as a high school student here in DC, those same, the same issues, challenges, and opportunities presented themselves in New Haven and at Yale. And so it was an opportunity for me to grow as a leader and as a person. So what did you end up studying while you were there? Did you study design? I actually studied architecture and art history. Okay. All right. So as you're going through the programs there, you graduate from Yale. What was kind of your next step? Did you want to become an architect now that that was what you were studying? I had always wanted to become a developer. I wanted to be at this nexus of politics, business, and design. My, my background, I was really strong in sciences and really strong in thinking about creativity. And But running through that was always this sense of, and this spirit of being an entrepreneur. I joked that I started my first business when I was in the fourth grade and started a business that sold candy on a school bus trip. So underneath all of this has always been this, this notion of being an entrepreneur. I actually decided that I didn't want to continue to pursue architecture because of this idea of having to wait for others to empower you to build out your designs. The entrepreneur in me was always about taking bold action and having the agency to make your own way. And at that time, I didn't see an opportunity for me to have a profession that moved in that space. Where I did see an opportunity and the energy was, is coming in and exploring new ideas and taking what I learned in terms of business and brand and startup. And I spent time 
at Price Waterhouse and Parker and Gamble. And I had a chance to do really early on the brand management program. And combining that with my entrepreneurial spirit, I started going after opportunities where I could help companies grow, either take a new idea from zero to something or coming into older companies that needed to reboot and needed that same energy. What I saw was a really metaphor that came out of my architecture experience, this notion that you could design and create a future. That was really what attracted me to that space because you could build things and you could come up with big ideas that other people may not see. But then you had to have the ability to work with those resources, to marshal the limb, to move them from the pragmatic to the vision. And so that's a metaphor for how I approach business, how I approach leadership and how I think about organizations. And that was really anchored in me from that experience of studying at Yale. See, these days, I think we would just call that like strategic design (laughs) or something like that. It sounds like you were kind of early predecessor of that. You really would. That wasn't the language that was used at that time. But when I look back, everything about that, I would tell Bob Reed before he passed, was like every challenge that we had in that class was really what I was looking at as a chief marketing officer, as a chief strategy officer, as an entrepreneur. The way we were thinking about approaching the world was very much a part of that. The language in the, at that time was not there to call it, as you mentioned, but very much so. Mm. I want to touch on something that I think, honestly, it just came up as you were explaining this. So I was mentioning how this kind of sounds like early strategic design. And then you're also saying that because of this, you kind of ended up almost kind of veering more into doing marketing and strategy roles. Like you've been in these high level marketing and strategy roles. You've worked for the Better Business Bureau, the HR Certification Institute, et cetera. And maybe this kind of speaks to an earlier point I was saying about AIGA and sort of expanding its definition of design. Because what you were doing back then was design. It wasn't a pen on on paper or a paintbrush on canvas, but you were sort of doing like organizational design or strategic design. I don't know what it would have been called back then, but it's interesting how that had you kind of veer more into marketing and away from maybe a traditional design discipline. Yeah. And I think it, you know, we bring our, all of ourselves to this, right? And I had this experience and this deep passion for business and creating things. And, and so that was the expression of it, taking these tools in there. And in each of the organizations, whether my title was director or, or chief marketing officer, chief strategy officer, I always had the head creative director or design director report into me. The design was always kind of a secret ingredient in all the work that we were doing, whether it was brand or strategy as spaces now. And as you mentioned, kind of the world is evolved to this is the area of practice. When I was doing this, there was not that conversation, right? It was what tools are we going to do to achieve this goal? We need to build something that hasn't been built before. As I mentioned, we were talking before I worked in online education for kids in grades K through 12, 15 years ago. And that's incredibly relevant today in the world we live in. But think about what you would have had to do to get people to commit to educating their kids online 15 years ago. And of those are the spaces that I've worked in, in which we're building professions or marketers that didn't exist before. Um, when I was working with HRCI, with the global HR profession, we were helping to create and define an HR profession that was strategic, that was important to the business, that was global. Those things didn't exist before we started to work through that. We were creating that space. This is once again kind of having setting a bold vision and then doing the pragmatic work to build to that. I've had a really broad experience, right? And these are all a parts of the things that are important to me. This was the first job in which all of my friends and colleagues from the different part of my life all saw this is a perfect fit for you. So my technology friends, my friends and lawyer who are in legal professions with self-regulation, those who are coming from art and culture, folks who have been in startup communities or more traditional business and colleagues and friends from all those spaces saw this as kind of that nexus. You know, when you think about AIGA and this role, it is that perfect synergy of industry association, of professional space, of education and cultural organization and arts organization all combined together. And that's, you know, we talked earlier about what drew me to, that's a rarity to have an organization that fits in that nexus. And when I think about my kind of background and journey, it is always tied those areas together. Whether it was starting and pushing entrepreneurial business ideas, introducing new technology-driven products, 
working to expand professions or even serving on the Smithsonian board. It's always been about pulling those things together. Now, I want to ask you about some events that happened this year. I think you probably know what I'm alluding to. And it does have to do with diversity and inclusion kind of in general. And I know we we addressed this earlier, but AIJ has kind of, you know, historically had these deep-seated issues when it comes to DNI, whether it's from chapters to folks in headquarters, et cetera. And I'd say probably over the past year or so now, we've seen high-profile designers of color who have loudly voiced their dissent with design organizations, not just with AIGA. We've seen it with Type Directors Club. I think we might have seen it, I think, with one or two other organizations as well who have sort of loudly voiced their dissent and their split from it and everything. Particularly as I guess it relates to AIGA, how does that make you feel that this happened under your leadership? I'll let you know, quite frankly, these are challenges and concerns that didn't just start January 13th with my first day. These are species as we talk about again with a legacy organization. These are the things that that carry that sometimes have gone unaddressed, that sometimes have gone unnoticed, and sometimes that were just ignored, that are the negative parts that carry with a legacy organization. What we have now is kind of a moment of, and as I mentioned earlier, my role in coming in here is to completely rebuild and rethink who we are and how we've operated. Now, what I can do is acknowledge what went on before me. What I can do is acknowledge those spaces and the hurt and pain and the disconnect that has been a part of the legacy in, in the organizations. What we have going forward is what are we doing now to build for a new future? As I mentioned, it was important for me and for the organization for us to have a critical investment in rethinking leadership, in re-equipping leadership, in reinforcing what it means for us as an organization. That's why it was a central tenet of our leadership training. And also what this year has exposed and where we had a kind of a quad pandemic in our space. We had the public health concerns. We had the ongoing economic concerns that tied into it. We have a moment of ongoing racial reckoning. And in our organization, like many legacy organizations, there's an ongoing conversation of, is our organization structured and equipped in a proper way? Those conversations were always needed, they were always poignant, and they were always sincere. But it allowed us to kind of dig into where we need to be as an organization. You know, as I mentioned before, these are kind of ongoing spaces that, and conversations, and miscues, and misunderstandings that had gone on and hadn't been addressed really in tangible ways for generations. I, one of the things that in starting in the role, I've always had both in this organization and the organization, a completely open door, open email, open pick up the phone policy. You know, I will take a call and a text at any time. And I've been asking the questions of both current members and former members and stakeholders alike and really getting to understand their experience with the organization and those those miscues. Sometimes, you know, that there are spaces in which we've seen that are just the failings of an organization going through change. You know, we've seen those spaces in there when you really get into the stories. Other times they're kind of personal heartbreak that ties into the space. And then the negative things that have been the offshoot of a profession that we don't have to recount all the different ways in which the profession has been limited. What I do share and what I do know here is I came in to rebuild and make a difference. And we've started that, we've started that work. And I know that the organization didn't get to this inflection point in nine months. So I know it's not gonna change in nine months, but we're doing the right committed work to that. We've rebooted our board of directors. We have the most diverse, most talented and savvy board of directors that we've had probably in the history of the organization. You know, it's really amazing. We're rethinking our programming. We're rethinking our training and support. We're rethinking what it means to be a professional association and the ways in which we can be better. So those are the things we are right now. As I said in our conversation before, I offer these as proof points and ongoing proof points. I would encourage everyone to look at what we're doing now and what we'll continue to do and keep checking for us for the next year in two years and watch what we deliver and what we build out. Um, my goal is to build, as I said before, 
this more contemporary, more open, more dynamic professional association for design. That is what I believe the profession deserves. That is the type of community I want to reinforce. And that is the type of work we're focused on. Now, outside of AIGA, I know you serve on on several boards. Uh, most notably, uh, one of them is for one of the Smithsonian Museums uh, in Anacostia. Talk yeah. to me about that. It has been a great joy of mine for the last 10 years, actually. It's funny, when I came on, I was the youngest board member they had ever had. And I spent the last 10 years on the board, the last five as board chair. And the Smithsonian Anacostia Museum was started in 1967. It's off the mall, which gives it a unique kind of flavor. But it's deep in the heart and the mission of the Smithsonian, which has always been to increase and increase and the diffusion of knowledge which is really chunky, and that's the mission, but I always refer to it as to share and build. That's really what it's about. And so the Anacostia Community Museum really championed the idea, both locally and globally, that a museum could be made up of the work and ideas and express of everyday people living everyday lives. And so that's the heart of the museum. It's a space that's, that's both about art and culture and technology and belonging and community. Um, we do oral history projects. We have art shows. We have everything you could imagine in a community museum that also creates knowledge in a scholarly approach that ties into the Smithsonian and other larger museums. So it's been incredible. It's actually my neighborhood museum. I live roughly walking distance from it. And to be able to serve and to make sure and champion that this museum continues, what people miss sometimes is although you're part of Smithsonian, you still have to champion for support in your community. And I've been proud to do that. How do those board positions, particularly the one at the Smithsonian Anacostia Museum, how does that help inform the work that you do with AIGA? Oh, it's really powerful from, you know, I, I mentioned before that I kind of bring all of my experiences together. But when you think about kind of the space of a community museum, how do you build community coalition? How do you build representation? How do you build stakeholdership and reinforce that? Those are all things that were I was learning and were refined in kind of the service on the board. There's also this space. I talk a lot about leadership through service that comes from when you're on this board. These aren't paid positions. And that's why I have such a deep respect for volunteer leaders. Growing up, my parents were those volunteer leaders. That is what my kids get to see me being a volunteer leader, where something matters that's bigger than you and you serve in a professional context. I think that's really powerful. Working with the Anacostia, we were at the point a few years ago where we didn't have a strategy. So I helped to build our first strategic plan that was ratified all the way up to the secretary of the Smithsonian which is kind of taking those core nine to five skills that I had and applying it for good. Um, I helped to rebuild the board, which is something that we're doing now and we have done with the IGA, but we rebuilt the board for the Anacostia. So that notion of how do you bring stakeholders in? How do you diversify a board? How do you bring other voices to the table and create sustainable impact? Um, those are all things that, that I learned and were reinforced by this service on the Smithsonian board. Now we're, you know, coming up on the end of the year. This episode's coming out on November 30th. We're heading into December. 2020 has been a hell of a year, I think, for everyone. What lessons have you learned, particularly in 2020? It's amazing. We talk about 2020, and in so many ways, the words aren't even big enough to describe the impact of 2020, right? It, and even when you try to put words around it, it comes across as trite because the words that we used to use for things that were unimaginable still feel small in 2020. But one of the things that came to me, you know, that I think about that we learn is that you are stronger than you could ever imagine. You are more creative than you ever knew. And if you're committed and focused, you can be more resilient than anyone can ever believe, Right. So it's this moment of this year has been about creativity. I mean, we've seen creativity in so many ways, from art and culture to technology to how we respond in kind. We've seen us in what has been a year of some of kind of the baddest times that we've seen from a human perspective. And I've seen people rise up to it, you know, in the midst of 
of having an environment that hasn't created a space for everyone to be their best selves. Let's be honest. We've we got a space where we haven't seen people be their best selves. But what I've taken away is when we've been able to rise above that, I've been blown away by commitment and service and the resilience that we see. When I look at my staff and team, when I look at the volunteer leaders, when I look at the ways in which we all are kind of pushing through, that we can be better than 2020. And so those are the things that I take away from. And those are the things that are the foundation for 2021 for me, right? Because I know we're stronger. I know we're bolder. I know we're more resilient and I know we're more creative. And if we take all of that into 2021, I am completely hopeful. Is there one thing that you wish that you could communicate to the entire design community? I mean, you already sit, you know, on a very high perch being the executive director at AIGA, but with the information that you've gathered so far being in this role, and then, of course, all of your experience leading up to this point, is there something that you really wish you could just get across to the design community that they should know about? I would say, Maurice, that we are sincere with our desire and commitment to rebuild AIGA as a more dynamic professional organization. We are here for that full journey that we talked about before, from aspiration and inspiration through professional achievement. We are here for those moments in which you need the port in the storm as a design professional. We are here to support you in thinking of the big ideas. You know, what I want to make sure people understand is that we're committed to doing dynamic and hard work. And I encourage everyone to give AIGA another look. You know, if you start to see the content that we're putting together, the relationships that we're building, the work that we see in a more robust design profession, I think as you'll continue to see, our goal is to make sure that there's a place for everyone in AIGA. And that's something that I reinforce and reinforce the message to our leaders. I reinforce with our staff. It is a commitment to why I'm here as a leader to take advantage of this moment of this legacy association, take those positive things that are a part of the legacy and combine them with that dynamic new things that we need to build a new way forward. I can impart a suggestion here to help mm -hmm. hopefully make that happen. I think AIGA should be a lot more transparent. And I don't necessarily mean like completely pull back the curtain. I mean, you know, whatever you're most comfortable with, I think, just kind of sharing. But the reason that I say that is because for most people, their experience with AIGA is largely only going to be at the chapter level. Mm -hmm. So they may know their chapter and every chapter is different. They're going to be different from other chapters. They're going to be different from working with headquarters. And I think if someone's only experience with the organization is with that chapter and it's not a good experience, they're right. not going to have a good experience about the organization as a whole. Now, Speaking from personal experience, I don't have a good, I have not had great, good experiences with my local chapter in Atlanta. That is well documented. They know that. However, I've also worked with headquarters and those experiences have been pretty good for, for the most part. There's been some issues, but overall, I look back at that time and the things we we're able to accomplish and feel good about that. Not every AIGA member is going to have that opportunity to be able to kind of see the organization from those different ends. They're only seeing it from like a pinhole right. through a it, sheet, you know? And so is. if there's ways that the organization can be more transparent to show who they are, like not necessarily, I think from the chapter level, I think from the headquarters level, like just show like, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're trying to do. Like be more transparent, not necessarily being, telling everything, but just being more open about the changes that are happening and what you're trying to accomplish. That's so just a suggestion, though. So it's interesting. And it's, it's a wonderful suggestion, Maurice. And you can think we've already been taking you up on that, because that's one of the things that even in my coming in, we've increased the manner and ways and direction in which we communicate and share. Part of it is also a lag in that when you have a hundred year organization, a lot of the conversations are about experiences of across the past few years as well. So it's going to take some time. The challenge you have with the federated models even before is people have all these different touch points. You're absolutely right. And so our goal is to be able to show and embrace a professional in a lot of different ways. And that becomes a challenge, but that's a that's our positive challenge to your point. 
the chapter model that was based on location and proximity, that's a part of the legacy. As you know, you've had experiences where your interests may be different than the focus of your chapter based on geography. And so finding a way in which the AIGA experience can be just as dynamic as your interests and engagement. And also having an understanding that as a volunteer organization, those touch points are only as strong as our volunteers are engaged in those spaces. And so having these conversations that we've been having the last few weeks and months over and over again really speaks to are there ways in which our chapter leaders, are there ways in which our volunteers can be more mindful of the engagements they have with designers of all spaces? I mean, that's something that that we talked about. I've had really sincere outreaches from members of the design community who said that. And, And the conversation is to, yes, respect the fact that there may have been a less than admirable experience in the past with a chapter or with an individual. But what can we do as a design profession to kind of bridge that bond and find new ways and dynamic ways in which we can be there and support you going forward? It's really complex, as we mentioned before, but I think it's a focus. And to your suggestion, our goal is to be able to communicate with people directly and meet them where they are and be able to provide leadership through service. Now, one common question I've asked every guest this year has been around the future. 2020, for what it's worth, I'd say prior to the pandemic, has been something I think that has always been a a cultural touch point when we think of the future. Even if you think about just the show 2020, like it came out in the 70s, 2020 seemed like a lifetime away. You know, you think of pop culture, science fiction, et cetera. Now we're in 2020. We're in the situation that we're in. And so I'm asking every guest, and I'll ask this to you as well, how are you using your skills right now to help build a more equitable future? So I can speak to my capacity and role here at AIGA. I can speak to my capacity and role in my community or at the Smithsonian, or I can speak to the capacity and role as a father who I look through the lens of what an equitable future is like by looking at my son and daughter. And having a son and daughter who are exploring ideas and becoming, you know, our creative and science driven and problem solving by their very experience in nature and upbringing. But I think about the future, it is always a conversation about looking in a space that's more equitable for them and those who are coming up behind them. Right. And so I look at my skill and my time here to think about radically rebuilding the work we do at AIGA that's about creating a new future. I think about the work and kind of restructuring and strengthening our programs with the Smithsonian that reach out to communities that have been underserved, that have been in a space in which the door has been open but have never been felt welcome. I look at my role in the community as a business leader, as someone who grew up in the community and space and being there for a mentorship and opportunity. It's all about creating what's next in the future. But then, you know, tying that back in, as I said before, about being a dad and realizing that I have the unique responsibility and privilege that in each of those spaces and roles that I embody, I can bring the best of me from the experiences that I learned being a student in DC public schools, to my time at Yale and Columbia, to every stop that's on the resume and CV, that I bring those skills to build something that's better for tomorrow. My team hears me say all the time, my focus is always about being better. And it's always this dynamic push towards a future. And I think a better future for me, by definition, is more dynamic, it's more equitable, and it will be more dynamic than you can ever imagine. That, for me, that is what pushes me and what I think about. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Right now, my focus is building and rebuilding AIGA so that in five years, we're looking at a space in which we meet the expectations of our communities. We meet one of the prompts that we always challenge and I think about is this creation of relevance and where we're pushing for in the future. So I want to be able to rebuild this organization in which we are meeting the most pressing needs of the design community, as well as championing the most dynamic ideas, both the critical need and the expansive opportunity. You know, in five years, 
I want to see AIGA emerge as this more dynamic professional association. I think that the impact that we deliver, I would like to be sustainable. That's both inside our profession, but also works with other professions and speaks to the world at large. I know that you cannot be a profession by yourself, right? Our world is integrated and dynamic. And I think looking down five years, I'd like to see AIGA and my leadership in there in a space in which we were able to rebuild and meet those needs, the pressing needs and the dynamic opportunities. And just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? You can always find us on AIGA.org, but you can also see the work that we're doing on Instagram, on our LinkedIn accounts, and within our community. So each of our chapters has their own web presence as well that's connected. You can see us there. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Well, Benny F. Johnson, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. For people that don't know, Benny and I have actually spoken, what, several times <laughs> offline. And so I'm, I'm glad that we actually are able to have this conversation here on Revision Path. And I, I mean, it's important, one, because you're heading up this very important design organization. But also, you know, when you look at design leaders in general in this community, there's not a lot of black design leaders. You are now among that pantheon of black design leaders. So, of course, now being tasked with this organization and with the century plus of history that comes with it is a huge responsibility. And it really sounds like you are taking it on head on. You you have a plan about it and you've got a team to help you pull it off. So for people that are listening, I think people are going to take you to task. They're going to make sure that AIGA is going to be that organization that you're saying that it will be in the future. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how the organization changes and modernizes and updates and becomes better under your leadership. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Once again, it's been an honor. And Maurice, I appreciate you so much in the conversations that we've had to push and challenge and build. I applaud you and applaud Revision Path. Thank you, good sir. Big, big thanks to Benny F. Johnson. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Benny and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Are you looking for some creative consulting for your next project? Then let's do lunch. Visit us at yepitslunch.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better, by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for 375 episodes of this podcast. That is wild to even think about. We'll see you next time. Thank you.